and he's telling his little congregation, the problem with the world is that people that have a lot aren't willing to share with those that have a little. We've got to get outside ourselves. We've got to be willing to share with those who are less fortunate. There's an old fellow sitting on the front row. He said, Otis, if you had $10 million, wouldn't you share half of that with the poor? Otis said, I most certainly would. He said, Otis, if you had two cows, wouldn't you give one of those cows to someone down the street who needed one? Otis said, I most certainly would not. He said, you wouldn't? Why not? Otis said, because I have two cows. <laughs> which is kind of a pretty good explanation of the way most people think about charity and generosity. We're very generous with the things that we don't have. When it comes to things that we do have, we're usually a little bit more possessive than maybe we'd like to admit. We live in a, a society that not only allows, but kind of encourages to be very me-centered. What can I do for me? No, we're sort of trained to think that way. How can I be richer? How can I be thinner? How can I be healthier? How can I be happier? How can I be, be better? How can I be smarter? How can I serve me? Not too often do we ask, how can I serve someone else? Or every now and then we'll ask, how can I serve someone that I'm related to? What can I do for someone that you know, I know is going to be able to pay me back somehow? Every now and then we'll ask that question. Not too often do we ask the question, what can I do for someone who will never pay me back? What can I do for someone that will probably never say thank you? How can I help someone who might not even know that I was the one who helped them? We don't ask those kinds of questions very often. This morning we are beginning a very short three-week sermon series that I've entitled Looking Out My Back Door, Seeing Who Jesus Sees. And we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about why should we and how can we get outside of ourselves just a little bit. For the next three weeks, we're going to sort of focus on what's, what's right here, what's right outside our back door. When I say right here, I don't mean right here, I mean right there, in our community, in our neighborhoods. Now, think about this. Fifty years ago, there was only one uh, kind of service station, and that was a full-service gas station. You remember those? You know, you pulled up to the gas pump and somebody just sort of magically appeared at your window. Now, how much gas would you like? You want me to check your oil? You want me to clean your windshield? You want me to check your tire pressure? You know, anything else I can do? And you just sort of sat there and didn't do anything. By the time I started driving, most places gave you a choice. You could pull up to a self-service island or you could pull up to a full-service island. And sometimes it was nice just to pull up to the full-service island and let somebody else do all the work. But today, those are pretty much a thing of the past. Today, especially in Florida, I, I don't know that there are any more full-service gas stations. Because what the gas companies realized was most people would rather pay a little less and do a little more. Most people would rather just serve themselves. Martha and I were in Nashville a couple weeks ago. We went to the Lipscomb Lectureships, which were great, and I can't wait to share some things about that with you. But I pulled into a gas station to get some gas, and I start to pump the gas, and a guy comes running up and says, that's my job. How much do you want? I'm like, really? Is this a full-service gas station? Well, this island is. Really? 
That is awesome. And I looked down and I noticed that the full service pump price was a few cents higher than the aisle next door, you know, right, right beside it. And I said, you know what? I think I'm just going to move my car over here. <laughs> is that cheap? I don't know. And you know what he said? I don't blame you a bit. And I got in and I moved over and pumped it myself. Because the assumption is we'd really just rather serve ourselves. Let me say that again. The assumption is we would all really rather just serve ourselves. Again, we're kind of wired to think that way, aren't we? You know, we think, I'm hot, so therefore it's hot in here and somebody needs to cool the place down. Why are we eating at this restaurant? I don't like to eat at this restaurant. We need to go somewhere else. Why are we watching this television show? I don't like that show. So everybody else needs to watch something else. We're, we're used to asking those things and saying those things. It kind of comes naturally, doesn't it? It comes a little unnaturally to say, what would you like? How do you feel? What can I do for you? This morning we're going to talk about something that's really not very much fun to talk about. But I will promise you that if we get it, and if we do it, not only will we be a blessing, but we'll be blessed as well. So I encourage you to take your Bibles out, open up to Acts chapter 9. You can follow on the screen behind me because it's going to be there. The first half of Acts chapter 9 is dominated by the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. But in the second half, at the end of the chapter, we meet a woman by the name of Dorcas. And we're actually going to spend a couple weeks talking about Dorcas. Two-thirds of this sermon series is going to deal with this woman. I'm going to introduce her this morning, and then next week we're going to get into her story uh, a little bit more. But there's a lot to learn here from this woman, Dorcas, even though she never utters a single word in Scripture. Even though her story only consists of six verses. There's a lot in her story. Unfortunately, we pick up her story at her funeral. Acts chapter 9, verse 36. In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, who was always doing what? Was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please, come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and, and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Now, funerals are always an interesting time. I performed a lot of funerals, and you always want to say something encouraging, and you always want to say something positive about the, the person that's passed away. Sometimes that's easier than other times. These people, these widows who were around at Dorcas's funeral talking to Peter, didn't have any problem coming up with things to say positive about Dorcas. In fact, they weren't just telling Peter about her kindness. They were wearing her kindness. Look what she made for me. Look what she did for me. Look what she gave me. 
Now, notice who Peter is talking to. He's talking to widows. And this is significant, by the way, because widows sort of operated on the fringe of society because they had no power. In that culture especially, widows had no power. You know, James says that pure religion is to take care of widows and orphans. What do widows and orphans have in common? They have no one to look out for them. You know, in a patriarchal society, when a husband died, who was going to take care of that wife? When, when children uh, were left without parents, who were going to take care of those children? These were people who were, were really kind of on the outside of society. So here you have these women who probably had no way of paying for anything that Dorcas might have, have done for them, saying, look what she's done. Look what she did. And they aren't saying, Dorcas sold this robe to me. They're not saying that I bought this outfit from Dorcas. No, Dorcas was a woman who just got outside of herself and looked around and said, what can I do? How can I help? I can't do everything, but I can do something, and I can do something for you. How can I help? Now, believe it or not, Jesus predicted that you and I would have this same kind of heart. And Jesus predicted that you and I would have the same kind of vision for people who might need something that we can offer. That was Jesus' prediction. He predicted that his followers would have the same kind of heart and the same kind of focus that Dorcas had. Flip over to Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew chapter 20, a, a mom speaks to Jesus about her two boys. It's the mother of James and John. And she comes to Jesus with a pretty bold, pretty straightforward request of Jesus. She says, Jesus, when the time comes, I want my boys, I want James and John to sit on your right and sit on your left. That's a pretty aggressive request that this mom is making of Jesus. Now John is called Son of Thunder. Maybe it's talking about his mom. Because this mom says, hey, I want my boys sitting in the best seats. And we kind of get that, don't we? Again, aren't we sort of wired that way? Don't we all want to sit in the best seats? Those of you who do a lot of flying, there's still, I guess, some, some airlines that have first class. Don't you kind of wish you sat in first class? They get to board first, and then we have to get on and walk past them, and they're already sitting in the big seats, leather, stretched out, little fold-down television, little hot towels. We shuffle on back with the rest of the cattle. <laughs> End up sitting beside one guy that looks like a sumo wrestler, and the other guy's eating a bag of pork rinds. And I'm going, I want to sit in those seats. I would love to sit in the good seats here for the next two hours. We all want to sit in the good seats, don't we? And that's what John and James's mom is asking Jesus. I want my boys to be in the best place. I want the best for my boys. Now, that sort of naturally flows out of us. But there's also something else that sort of naturally flows out of us. Because the other ten guys heard this request. They didn't take it too well. I'm in verse 24 of Matthew 20, by the way. 
When the ten heard about this, this request from the mother, they were indignant with the two brothers. The other ten men hear the mother's request and they get upset. So now Jesus has to do a little bit of damage control. But he also has an opportunity to teach. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers and the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Jesus says, Hey, look at the world around you. You know how it works. We all get it. You know how things work out there. I'm with you, brother. I believe you. She's saying, you know how things work. You know how the world operates. Everybody wants to be in charge. Everybody wants to be served. You know, the, the boss tells the, the manager what to do. The manager tells the salesman what to do. The salesman tells the stock boy what to do. stock boy goes out in the alley and you know, kicks a cat. You know, everybody wants to have someone serving them. Everyone wants to be large. Everyone wants to be in charge. Everyone wants to have others paying attention to them. And then Jesus gives them four very important words. Not so with you. Say that out loud with me. Not so with you. In fact, turn to the person to your right and say, Not so with you. Turn to the person to your left and say, Not so with you. Introduce yourselves after the service. But Jesus says, my people aren't going to be like that. My followers aren't going to think like that. They're not going to act like that. My followers aren't going to be the people who say, I've got to sit in the best seats. And my followers aren't going to be the people who say, I've got to have things my way. And I've got to have people paying attention to me and serving me. Not at all. Instead, notice what Jesus tells them. Verse 26. Not so with you. Instead... Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me ask you a question this morning. What would happen if for some reason you just disappeared from the face of the earth this week? Besides your immediate family, how many people would say, whoa, what are we going to do without you? Besides your immediate family, how many people would say, wow, how are we going to get by without you? How many people would show up at your funeral and through tears say, look what she made for me. Look what he did for me. Let me tell you how he helped me. Let me tell you how she served me. It's just a question. But let me ask you maybe a tougher question. If this next week, if we closed our doors for good, if this congregation just went away, how many people besides us would miss us? How many people in our community would say, wow, what are we going to do without the Bay Area Church of Christ? Again, it's just a question. 
There's a danger of becoming so insulated in our own needs and our own wants and our own little world that when it gets down to actually doing something for someone else, when it gets down to actually serving our community, mm, I don't really have time for that. Or that's not really that important to me. But Jesus says, not so with you. Not my people. Not my church. Somehow we've got to break out of that cycle of getting so caught up in ourselves that we completely miss the needs of people that are right out our back door. So the question becomes, how do we do that? And the answer to the question is found in the words of Jesus. Jesus doesn't just tell us how to do it, he tells us why to do it. We spent quite a bit of time in the Sermon on the Mount. Turn back to Matthew chapter 5. Towards the very beginning of that very famous sermon, Jesus makes a very well-known statement. In verse 14 of Matthew 5, You are the light of the world. city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. I want to give you this morning a very deep, very theological explanation of what Jesus has just said in Matthew 5. You're going to have to put your thinking caps on and pay close attention. Here's what Jesus means by that. Lights are meant to be seen. People notice when a light is on. That's what he says. Do you ever walk into a pitch black room and go, I wonder if there's a light on in here somewhere? No. You know when a light is on. Get into your car at midnight. Do you ever go, I wonder if my lights are on? How would I know? Lights are meant to be seen. We know when a light is on because it's meant to be seen. Jesus says, that's you. You're called to be a light in the community. And we think, oh, okay. I can be a light in the community. I can shine a bright light on everything that people are doing wrong. I will blind them with the truth. I'll be a light. You're doing it wrong. And you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it a little wrong. You can't say that. You can't do that. You can't live that way. I'll blind them with the truth. I'll be like one of those big mag lights that you know police officers hold up here. But Jesus keeps talking. Verse 16. Verse 16. My hopes are so high. Verse 16. Go to that next slide, Trex. Hey, you got your Bibles open. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they can hear your sermons. No. So they can read your Facebook posts. So they see your bumper stickers. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. One version, said, one version says they see the good things that you do and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus actually tells us a couple things in this passage. First, he tells us what to do. Good deeds. Good things. 
The reason we encourage you to do good things and good deeds is because Jesus commanded you to do good deeds and good things. Where are you on that journey? You're stepping out to do things outside of your family, outside of this family. And by the way, Jesus not only tells us what, He tells us the why behind it as well. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That's why we do it. That's why we serve. Jesus says that the result of doing good deeds is not, whoa, what a great guy you are. And the result is not, whoa, what a great church you are. The result is, whoa, what a great God we serve. We are called to serve our community. And God gets the credit. We're called to get outside ourselves and do something for someone else so we can make God look good. We do that individually. We do that collectively. This morning, I want to take about four minutes, five minutes, and share with you an opportunity for the Bay Area family to serve our community. There is a registered private school just a few miles down the road, uh, an MLK called Grant Park Christian Academy, kindergarten through, I believe it's sixth grade. Last year they enrolled about 50 students. This year they expect to almost double that. Grant Park Christian Academy is attempting to serve families of children who for whatever reasons don't get the kind of support, the kind of encouragement, don't have the kind of resources, some of those built-in benefits that most of our children enjoy. Now we send our kids off to school every morning with a big breakfast and a full backpack and a packed lunch and clean clothes. Grant Park is serving children, they're teaching children, where most of those kinds of things, the things that we take for granted, those are the exception, not the norm. For the most part, their students have not succeeded in public schools. And there's a real danger of those children getting so far behind academically and emotionally that they wind up in places where their options are very, very limited just a few years down the line. And Grant Park's trying to change that one child at a time. Their curriculum is Bible-based. Jesus is taught. God is glorified. Prayer is practiced. There's structure. There's an emphasis on loving each other, respecting one another. Now, here's the really neat thing about all this. Our very own Shante Magar is the principal at Grant Park Christian Academy. I don't think Shantae's in this service, but she's the principal at the school. And she has shared with us the vision of the school and the needs of the children, some of the challenges that they're facing as they try to invest into some lives that, that most of society wants to ignore. Several of us have taken a tour of the school. It's very impressive. So here's the deal. We've been commanded by Jesus to be servants to our community, to be a light in our community. And it seems like we've sort of been given on a silver platter an opportunity to do that. Small private school has a lot of needs. Normally the families of the students enrolled would help shoulder some of those needs with tuition and out-of-pocket expenses. It's not going to happen at Grant Park. 
the families just don't have those kinds of resources. So we want to help. In a small way, we want to help. We are challenging you to help with the Grant Park Christian Academy school needs for this coming school year. We're trying to make this as easy as possible. There's a bulletin board in this uh, back hallway, front hallway right here as you go into the Family Life Center. On that bulletin board is some information regarding the school. There's also four boxes of bags. On those bags is stapled a, a, a list of supplies. There's a small, medium, large, and supersized bag. Small bags will cost you about $10 to, to fill up what's on the, on the front of it. The medium bag will cost you about $30. The large bag will cost you about $50 to fill up. And then there's a supersized bag. And there's some, some things on the bulletin board itself of just some special needs. And maybe your family say, you know, we, we're going to take a medium bag, but we're going to supersize it. And we're going to take one of those slips of paper and maybe fulfill one of those special things that that school would like to have. So we're challenging you to take one of those bags and bring it back by the end of this month. But wait, there's more. <laughs> July has a fifth Sunday. School starts in August this year. The leadership here has committed to, on our fifth Sunday, everything over $10,000 of our regular contribution is going to go towards helping Grant Park Christian Academy with some of those things that really, really, they just need money to, to achieve. As I mentioned, towards the end of the school year last year, myself and Robbie John, Tom Manley, took a tour of the school what we saw were some really great teachers and some really sweet children. But I knew that those children were living in a home that probably didn't look very much like our homes. And I knew that those children probably were not getting the kind of encouragement academically, emotionally, spiritually that our children receive. But what I saw was a place where those kids fit. And where those children were being taught a sense of belonging. Where there was structure. Where there was a, uh, an expectation to succeed. Where they were given self-confidence. Where they were being taught that they were special for who they are. And that God loves them for who they are. Want to hear their vision statement? Our vision is to develop citizens of Christ-like character and integrity who are well-educated, hard-working, and active, responsible citizens who make a positive contribution to society and achieve economic well-being. I can get behind that. I can support that. So I want to encourage you today, Wednesday, pick up one of those bags, fill it with the things that are on the list, have it back by the end of the month and then be prayerful about that fifth Sunday as well. Because we want to let our light shine right outside our back door. And I know so many of you are already doing that in all kinds of ways, but here's one more way. Here's an opportunity that we have. I told you at the beginning of this lesson that we were going to talk about some things that were a little bit uncomfortable, but I said that if we got it, and if we did it, then not only... Could we be a blessing to others, but we would be blessed ourselves. 
And my prayer this morning is that as individuals and that as a congregation, we can let our light shine. Not to show people how good we are, not to show people how special the Bay Area Church of Christ is, but just to show people how great God is and how much we have been loved by God. My prayer this morning is that we would have the courage to be Jesus to people who may never say thank you, to people who may never, you may never see, but that we could be a light, a city set on a hill. Now as we wrap up, we're going to offer an invitation we always do. And maybe there's something on your heart that you need to share with the family here. Maybe you need to you know, walk down the aisle and share that, and we certainly encourage you to do that if that's on your heart. But what I'm really encouraging you to do is, instead of walking down the aisle here at the end of services, is when we're all said and done in here, walk out those doors and say, you know what, count me in. I can help. I can do something. can't do everything, but I can do something. I can be a light right outside my back door. Let's stand and sing.